0: Litcentric Radio is sponsored by Booktaco, an online program for managing independent reading in grades K-8. Book Taco is an affordable alternative to accelerated reader with an engaging, inclusive environment for the diverse students you serve. Nowadays, teachers are thinking about classroom management a bit differently, mainly that we're managing students online. Book Taco has always had the tools to help you manage your readers. I'll explain more about it later on in the episode. Hi, welcome back to Litcentric Radio, the podcast that's a literacy coach in your pocket. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Webb. Well, happy Thanksgiving, at least to all you Americans out there. It's really been a crazy year and a very busy year for all of us, a year of a lot of changes for sure. Uh, But I really still think we have a lot to be thankful for. On kind of a light note of thankfulness, um, I've posted new resources for you. So, in last episode, I mentioned um, that some new resources were coming your way and they're finally posted. Thank you for waiting. At first are the uppercase digital magnetic letters that I have for sale and um, we've already had the lowercase letters. They've been extremely popular and I've had some teachers ask for a capital version so that's what we have now is that also the uppercase ones and both the uppercase and lowercase are perfect for really virtual guided reading groups anytime your students are doing word work with you or even during literacy centers. So you can use them in Google Classroom, virtual whiteboards, even put them in Seesaw because the letters themselves are just those PNG files, which is just a little image, kind of like a little piece of clip art. So if you know how to copy and paste a piece of clip art onto a document or onto a whiteboard, it's the exact same process. So it really makes it easy. And that way you can actually see your students manipulating the letters in real time on your screen. And uh, it's a great way to support the word work that we need. And like I said, if you use it in Seesaw, if you're teaching in person or you have students, maybe in a hybrid situation, you can upload those letters onto, um, you know, different documents or different things you want students to practice and they can manipulate those letters around. And that way you don't need to have a magnetic letter set for every child. You don't have that expense and you don't have to worry about cleaning all those things. So it really does make it easy. The other resource I'm really, really excited to share with you is my Making and Breaking Words Kit. Now this kit has 37 lessons for phonics, phonological awareness, spelling, and vocabulary practice. And the best part is it's really fun. It, the kids really think of it as kind of like a mystery to solve or like a game that they're playing. And it's hands-on, low risk, which makes a perfect supplement to any phonics program or even intervention that you might be doing with students. So the 37 lessons focus on 37 different phonemes that come from the Common Core Standards, and they're really the most common, popular phonemes students need right away. And also, not only does the kit have those lessons in it, but it also comes with the corresponding task cards. So you get also 37 task cards that students can use for extra practice um, independently in literacy centers. So again, you can do those virtually, you can do them in person, They are really wonderful. I love them so much. They work so well and I really wouldn't teach without them. So I urge you to take a look and uh, see how those can really complement the phonics instruction and practice you're already providing your students. And on a more serious, thankful note, I'm really grateful for all of you for tuning in consistently to LetCentric Radio and for trying out LetCentric.com's resources in your classroom. And I love hearing about how those resources are making a difference for you and for your students. That's my favorite thing when I get on social media or I get an email from someone saying that something's working really well for them. That's just really exciting to hear. Personally, I'm also very thankful that we have some beautiful weather right now here in the Napa Valley in California where I live. And that it's really the end of fire season. So I'm always grateful when that's done. We finally have some rain and we can breathe a little easier around here. And on a very, very personal note, I'm very thankful for some really good news our family has to share. We are expecting a baby boy in April, so I'm really excited. Natalie, my daughter, is super excited to be a big sister. We're really excited to welcome a new member of our family. So on that note, I will wish you a very wonderful Thanksgiving and a safe and restful break. In today's episode of Litcentric Radio, we're going to take a look at plot development with the text Peter's Chair by Ezra Jack Keats. Now, I love Peter's Chair because it really is a classic story that explores the universal feelings that children have around welcoming a new sibling. Now, I recognize that that's kind of funny with my baby announcement and this, you know, book about welcoming a new baby, Uh, I didn't plan that, it's just kind of how it worked out, but you know how things go sometimes. Um, But Ezra Jack Keats was an author and illustrator in the 1960s, and um, he was of Jewish heritage. And I mentioned that because he um, really used his unique perspective on the world and um, with some of the challenges that he faced being Jewish to really help him understand who was present in children's books and of course, in the other works that he did as well as maybe who was missing. And he was really one of the first authors and illustrators to feature black characters in his children's books. So, you know, nowadays, it's still actually a pretty important thing if you notice there's a black main character. But of course, back then in the 1960s, it was almost unheard of. So Ezra Jack Keats was really a pioneer in this area. And in this text, Peter's Chair, we're introduced to the character Peter, and actually, he was already um, introduced to us in um, A Snowy Day. And of course, that's Ezra Jack Keats' most popular book. It's been on um, the most checked out book list of the New York Public Library for you know decades now. And uh, we, in this text, we see Peter again. And so we know Peter as a wonderful little boy, a flawed character, of course, as all good characters are. And what's great about um, Keats and his use of a boy like Peter in his books folks asked Keats about why he featured a black main character in his text. Like I said, it was groundbreaking at the time. And he responded, quote, my book would have him there simply because he should have been there all along. And that's what's really wonderful about Keats's work is that really because the characters are so perfectly centered around the world that they're living in in those texts, we're not consciously thinking about similarities and differences. We're just being invited into that world and into that character's experience. And I love to use uh, Peter's chair for considering plot development with children. So Peter's chair has a really straightforward plot. that's pretty bare bones, actually very understated. And actually that's part of its charm. But it presents a really great opportunity to explore how we might expand and elaborate on the plot and really practice that skill. Because we know that our students actually are gonna need to do that from time to time. We know, especially in the lower grades or students who really haven't had a lot of experience developing a plot or narrative yet, they will often write events or a sequence of events that sound very list-like. And that's a good indication that the student has some sense of sequence and how a story is supposed to flow, but they don't yet understand how to focus in on certain events and really elaborate on them to make the plot really interesting. And so if you have students who are doing that list-like stories, Um, this is a great lesson for you to think about and introduce to them. How do you actually stretch out certain sections of the plot um, in a way that really is gonna make a more well-rounded narrative? So we're gonna explore that today with Peter's Chair. So let's take a look at today's text, Peter's Chair. Peter is actually playing with blocks and his mom says he needs to quiet down. And this is when we learn that Peter has to quiet down because there's a new baby at home, a new baby sister. Peter notices all the attention the baby is getting, and that all of his old baby things have been given to her. So, as we know, um, when children see some of their beloved items or items they thought were uniquely theirs handed over to someone else, especially maybe without their permission, that can cause a little bit of uh, maybe problematic feelings or hurt feelings. So here, he sees his cradles being used by her his high chair, his crib, and of course they've all been painted bright pink. And so he really sees them as his no longer and that's causing him some anxiety. (laughs) So he decides to rescue his little chair from uh, that pink paintbrush. He notices his little chair has not been painted yet. So he grabs that chair and he runs away with it with his dog Willie. So he doesn't get far. He actually just kind of goes right outside um, his apartment on the street level there. And pretty soon he voluntarily returns actually home. So it's pretty, uh, pretty quick transition there. And uh, Peter actually, when he returns home, he has a change of heart and he decides to help his dad paint that little chair pink in order to give it to the baby. So you can see here that the plot does move very, very quickly from one action or event to the next. And there's really some serious opportunities here for us to kind of slow down the plot and dive a little bit deeper into one or two of those actions. Maybe add some more dialogue in there, add some more feelings and descriptions in there, and maybe another action or two to really kind of draw out um, you know, the experience and the feelings that uh, Peter's having around this chair that he's kind of commandeered. Manage your readers with BookTaco.com. Their interface is intuitive, so you can learn how to navigate it the first time you add a student to your roster. Add a student and assign them a unique username. BookTaco gives you control instead of generating logins that are hard for students to manage and remember. And if you're managing over 100 students, you can divide them by section, which is great for middle schools or if you're teaching intervention groups at different grade levels or from different classrooms. If you have a ton of students signed up, like if you're an instructional coach and you're managing a whole school, there's a quick lookup tool so you can find individual students without having to search through each class. Part of managing class lists is assigning students reading goals, like how many books you want them to read in a month or a trimester. With Book Taco, you can assign the same reading goal to all students, which is such a time saver. And speaking of time savers, you can email your class list with every student reading goal with a single click. When I'm managing student reading data, I need to sort things out quickly and get my hands on the numbers. With Book Taco, you can generate different reports like the yearly student book goal report and get printable grades if you use the gradebook tool and score student work. There's also a simple way to message individual students, like if you wanna encourage them to stay on track toward their reading goal or it's time to congratulate them on a great writing assignment they turned in. Book Taco has a parent permission letter for when you're signing up students to participate, and it includes a place to share the student's login information so parents can see what their children are working on and kids can access the program anytime. Another reason to love BookTaco is that there's no limit on when students can use the platform, unlike some other reading programs out there. Something else I really like is that I can go in and add game coins to student accounts to reward them anytime. If they've been doing a particularly good job during literacy centers, or they've been extra focused during familiar reading time, I love that I can reward them with extra coins to play some of their favorite brain break games, because they deserve to be rewarded. Log on to booktaco.com and learn more about the student management system. That's booktaco.com. With our bridge chart today, we're gonna use this as an opportunity to show students um, how the plot really is outlined and where some of the emphasis can be placed. And we're gonna do that through a really basic timeline. And if you purchase a lesson from Eccentric Radio for episode 57, uh, you're gonna actually see uh, the bridge chart photo in there. And it has all of the timeline pieces that you'll need actually ready to go so you can print them out um, write onto sticky notes and just have students help you plot them along in order. And so you're not wasting a lot of time just writing down little things or arguing over, you know, the exact details. We really don't want to focus students' attention on every single detail um, in a timeline. It really just matters the highlights because timelines are meant to really show a sequence of events. They're not meant to go into depth in each of those events. So that might be a new concept for students if they haven't seen a timeline before. So with those sticky notes, we can plot them out with students. I like to go just left to right, um, as most timelines do. And um, as we do, we're gonna see some of the basic events that happen in the story, right? So Peter plays with blocks, you know, the baby sister's in the old cradle, his dad's painting the high chair, all these things are happening around this furniture, right? We know he swipes his old chair, he goes outside, He eventually returns home, actually quite quickly, and then he decides to paint the chair with his dad to give to his sister. So we've got that basic timeline. Of course, I've skipped a few things in there. Um, But again, those are all printed for you, so it's really easy to just print those out, put them on uh, the chart with students, and really focus their attention mainly on uh, the actual opportunities to develop the plot. So we don't wanna spend tons of time doing the timeline. That part should go pretty quickly we wanna spend the bulk of our time showing kids where the development's really lacking. So one of the ways we're gonna do that is by color coding. Now, I love to color code. If you've actually listened to Let's Centric Radio episodes before, you know I like to color code. And it just really brings a whole other layer of meaning and quick understanding for students um, when it's really used appropriately. And so here we wanna show students not only the layout, this, you know, this beginning, middle, end concept, but also to show kind of the weight each of those pieces because that's going to show kids where the main opportunities are to develop the plot further so we're going to take that timeline that we drew left to right we've already plotted out you know all the events on it but on the timeline itself um, i usually just draw it in black you know something basic now i'm going to take three new colors and i'm basically going to kind of highlight those sections um, in those three different colors so the beginning part of the story when he's playing with blocks he sees sister in the cradle dad's painting the high chair all of those things you know are coming to a head and he realizes oh his little chair has not been painted yet right that's really all in the beginning um, of the story so on the timeline itself on the actual line i'm going to take a green marker and make that line very obviously green so students see oh yeah that's the beginning of the story and I like to use green because green means go, right? When you think about, um, you know, a traffic light, we've got green is go, and we've got yellow is the slow down or, you know, kind of waiting, and then um, red means stop. So I'm gonna use those same colors because it's really reinforcing those same ideas. Next, I actually uh, focus students on the middle of the text. So this is where he uh, takes the chair, leaves home. Um, he actually doesn't, uh, realizes it doesn't fit in the chair. He actually pretends that he doesn't hear his mom when she's inviting him back inside, because like I said, he's out there for like a matter of like a minute before she calls him back in. So this section, we're gonna highlight the actual line on the timeline in yellow. So students see this is the middle part of the story. And then the last part of the story, of course, we're gonna use that red color where he actually returns home. He kind of plays a playful trick with his mom. And then he says he wants to help paint the chair and then he paints it with dad. So that whole section, we're gonna highlight red on the line. So now our line from left to right, we've got a a green section, a yellow section, and a red section. And what I want kids to understand through these colors is to really show them the length of each of these sections. Because if you actually map this out, the lengths are actually pretty equal in size. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because, like I said, this is a very straightforward plot and it was written many decades ago when children's books often were um, simplified in a lot of ways. And, uh, but what we want students to understand is that most of the time when we're really looking at a well-developed plot in a narrative, that middle yellow section needs to be the absolute longest section so if you think about we've talked about in the past the freytag's pyramid that story pyramid right where we have the we introduce the story and there's a rising action there's a climax at the top a falling action and then we conclude the story so that whole rising action climax and falling action the actual up and down part of the pyramid that's all the middle so that's the majority of the story the majority of the plot and so we want to show students that same concept here now i've decided not to use freytag's pyramid with the story First of all, because we've talked about it before, but also because this story doesn't have, you know, that climactic moment that's really obvious to pinpoint. And also, if this is the first time I'm talking to students about this idea of beginning, middle, end, and the middle should be the longest part, and that's where we spend most of our time, that's where we're gonna develop and describe and elaborate, I don't necessarily want to introduce the complicated pyramid structure yet. So I chose with a simple story like this to use a simple graphic to help my students understand this idea. Later, I can build off this exact same idea, introduce the pyramid structure, and use the same green, yellow, and red colors, and that will help connect these ideas for students and then move them forward in their development as writers. So if we take a look at that middle section, this is where we're going to brainstorm as students what are some of the logical possibilities that uh, Ezra Jack Keats could have included to really develop that section of the story. So we know that he takes the chair, he leaves the house, he sits in the chair, doesn't fit, and he kind of doesn't want to come home, and that's really the middle part of the story, right? So what are some of the things that could happen while he's outside on the stoop with his chair? Well, maybe, remember his dog, Willie, came with him, so maybe he has a conversation about how he's feeling with his dog. Or uh, maybe a friend walks by, because you know he lives in the city, maybe a friend walks by through the neighborhood, and uh, he shares the problem that he's having with his friend. Or maybe he tries a bunch of ways to try to fit into the chair because he only tries the one quick way and then he gives up very quickly. So maybe he doesn't give up so quickly this time. Or uh, maybe the chair accidentally breaks, right? Kind of like Goldilocks, he sits in a chair that doesn't fit, part of it breaks, and now he has to figure out how to fix it, maybe something like that. Or um, maybe he wants to sell the chair and buy a new one or something. I don't know. There's lots of things that Peter could come up with. There's different actions he could take. And so that's what I want to talk through with students. And I don't want to just, you know, provide them with a list of those ideas. I want them to come up with as many as possible. And I'll kind of massage some of those through really just to make sure that they're very logical because sometimes kids will come up with kind of zany, (laughs) zany ideas they don't really flow very well so i want to make sure that they are really logical and they match the um, content of the story as it's going so far so i'd probably have students you know turn and talk to each other or talk in groups of threes and fours and really help them to try to build off of each other's ideas and then make a big list of some of the possibilities we're going to use our timeline and our list in our writing tasks because i want students to actually develop out that middle section of the story so i may give them the first part you know he takes his chair outside or we actually write down the actual words from the text where he goes outside he doesn't you know sits in chair doesn't fit now students are going to add several sentences paragraph couple paragraphs however it works for you um, and the age level that you teach but really that's where students need to develop the plot further that's the real opportunity so we're pointing them towards that opportunity we're talking through some ideas that will logically fit into this story and then I'm gonna ask students to actually go ahead and write that section. So it really could be a lot of fun to to explore that with them. It's a very creative, fun exercise. And the best part is for students is they really get to understand the components of narrative and really recognize when something needs to be further developed, because we know that's a skill that they're really gonna need to have in their own writing. But also it's not as overwhelming because they've gotten enough, um, enough support from the text From the teacher and from their peers and I'm not asking them to write an entire story right just that middle section just that next action or event that we want Peter to take so a lot of my students who maybe get turned off or get have a little anxiety about writing and are a little bit concerned about having to write a lot all of a sudden they realize oh this actually isn't very much and they really get the skill of developing the plot which is the most important thing in this lesson. So that's our episode. So please don't forget to follow Litcentric on social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, and YouTube. And I really do love hearing from you. I love when you tag me, when you respond and comment to things. I love to see the books that you're reading and things you're trying in your classroom. So please feel free to tag me and contact me anytime. And again, I'm so thankful for you and your dedication to great teaching. So have a wonderful, safe Thanksgiving. And we'll see you next time. Have a great day at school.